So, how we doing? Let's try that again. How we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, they gave me 30 minutes. We're at 29:47. Um, you see my skin color. That's going to be a miracle. So, um, that was a joke. Let's uh, John 14. John 14, verse 16. Kind of a miracle. Uh, John 14, verse 16, and we're going to read down to 17. You ready? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Um, the title, the topic subject DT of the day, it, we'll, we'll call it, let God do God. Um, tell that to the person next to you, let God do God. <laughs> tell the next person. All right, all right. So, so I, I went to Ozark, I've read the Bible, I'm a Christian. Throughout the, the biblical narrative, throughout the scriptures, I've been convinced that there are there, there are supernatural, unthinkable things that God wants to do in you and through you. And we fail to experience these things. We, we fail to see these things happen because we fail to let God do God. So over the next 28 or so minutes, I want to first encourage you, and then I want to challenge you to let God do God. Sound good? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for times like this. Um, we need you today. Speak to us. Amen. Um, question. Have you ever not known what you've had? I'll ask it a different way. Have you ever forgotten or not realized what you've been given? So, story time. I did. Um, professors, before I tell this story, this was six years ago. I was a freshman. I'm sorry. <laughs> past days in the past. Students, do y'all know who Mark Moore is? So, if you don't know who Mark Moore is, if Protestants venerated people, he would have been last week. He's like, phenomenal. When I came on campus, I didn't know who Mark Moore was. So I was given this thick green book and thought, oh, Mark Moore, I don't know what he is, but what I do know about Mark Moore is that he writes a commentary thick enough that it makes a heck of a doorstop. For two weeks my freshman year, that green axe notebook was a doorstop. I had no clue who Mark Moore was. I had eight upperclassmen come and hammer into me. I finally was enlightened and woke up to the genius that Mark Moore was and this gold that he was giving me. So my enlightened self, I picked up the commentary off of the floor and put it on the counter and used it as a TV stand. <laughs> For weeks. That thing was a doorstop and a TV stand. Forgive me. I didn't know what I had been given. Does that make sense? So, so I, I want to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, because before we can let God do God, we've got to realize what we've been given in the Holy Spirit. Sound good? So write this down. Um, the Holy Spirit is the answer to our aloneness. The Holy Spirit is the answer to our aloneness. 
Um, in this passage I just read, John 14, verses 16 to 17, uh, most of you know it's, in the, it's the beginning of what we call the upper room discourse. And this is Jesus' last full conversation with his boys before he would go onto the cross, get up, and go into heaven. And in this specific situation, he introduces the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's first notice who it is that he's talking to about the Holy Spirit. This is a group of dudes who are worried and they're anxious over the thought of being left alone. For years, they've given themselves and been dedicated to this man, Jesus. They've learned a new way of living from Jesus and they've depended on Jesus to be physically present with them, lips, tips, and fingertip, fingertip, lips, hips, and fingertips with them every step of the way. And now he's just looked them in the eyeballs and said, I'm going somewhere you can't go. And you pick up throughout the conversation that these guys are tripping. They're anxious. They're worried. Where, where, where are we going? They're worried over the thought of being left alone. So, so today I want to talk to your aloneness. Everyone in this room knows what it feels like to be left alone. I'm left alone with my thoughts. I'm left alone with my brokenness as I try to be a better person. I'm left alone with my own ability as I try to do something for God. I'm left alone with my own weakness as, I, as I'm hit with temptation. I feel left alone. And so it's in this context of aloneness that Jesus inserts the Holy Spirit into the lives of the disciples. The Holy Spirit is the answer to our aloneness. Now look at, look at how or where Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes from. He says, I will ask the Father and the Father will give, the Father will give, the Father will give. God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift to be received. And look at how Jesus describes this gift. He first says, I will ask the Father and he'll send you another, underline that, another comforter. Uh, in one of John's epistles, we see that Jesus is the first comforter that these disciples had had. Then Jesus says, I'll give you another comforter. Jesus equates the Holy Spirit with himself. Hold that. Look at the rest of the biblical narrative, the New Testament specifically. Um, you remember that story in Acts chapter 5, I believe, when Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about how much money they brought to church. Right before they dropped dead, Peter looks at him and was like, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? Then right after he says, you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. Peter equates the Holy Spirit with God. So Jesus equates the Holy Spirit with God. Peter equates the Holy Spirit with God. This is Orthodox Christianity. The Holy Spirit is God, capital G. Not JV, not God Jr., not little God. The Holy Spirit is God. So, 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 so as we live this life as Christians, don't get it twisted and, and mistake and miss, mess up how you treat and relate to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people who, who I've noticed treat the Holy Spirit as if they're in line at Chipotle. And there's a whole lot of people that treat the Holy Spirit as if they're in a Harry Potter movie. You know what I mean? There are people who approach the Holy Spirit as if he's an optional ingredient to their bowl of Christianity and they can say no thank you and move on if they wouldn't like to have him. And there's a whole nother set of people on the far other extreme who treat the Holy Spirit as if he's some expecto patronum that they can throw around the room whenever they like to get a few goosebumps. Hear me. The Holy Spirit is not controllable, 
and he is not optional, he is holy. The Holy Spirit is God, and we ought to treat him as such. So take a little bit further. Look at where Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to be. He says the Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. But then he doubles down and he says he's going to be inside of you. If you are a Christian, the moment you came to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is God, opened up your heart and he sat down inside of you. God sat down inside of you the moment you came to Jesus. He's sitting down inside of you right here on October 1st, 2019, and he will be sitting inside of you in October of 2079 when you're trying to explain to your grandchildren how we let Kanye West become a gospel artist. <laughs> God sits inside of you, and he don't plan on getting up anytime soon. So, so you ought to take a few moments and just ask yourself, God, are you going to leave me? And God's like, nah, I'm here. And so when you take a step back at all of this and look at that, the fact that the Holy Spirit, God, sits inside of us, the Holy Spirit is God making good on his word. Way back in Exodus 3, he looks at Moses and he says, I'll be with you surely. And as Moses led the people out of Egypt, God put fire and a cloud in the air as a sign that I'm with you wherever they went. God was there. As they walked through the wilderness, God walked with them in a tent. Wherever they went, God was there. As they came into Canaan, God walked with them and gave them the Ark of the Covenant as a sign. Wherever they went, God was there. When they camped out in Jerusalem, God filled the temple with his glory and his presence. There they were, God was there. God came in flesh and bone. He uh, lived, he died, he rose before he left. He said, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. A few weeks later, God sat down in every single one of them. And those disciples, when they went through persecution, when they went through trouble, when they went through confusion, when they went through separation, whatever they went through, God was there. So for this first little bit of the sermon, all I wanted to do was to let every single one of you know, wherever you find yourself, whenever you find yourself there, God is there. You might find yourself in the middle of trying to balance school and a job. God is there. Some of y'all are seniors and you don't know what you're going to tell everybody on graduation day. So while you're waiting on the call of God on your life, God is there. Wherever you find yourself, whenever you find yourself there, God's there. So, so, so the Holy Spirit is God who was sent from God to sit in the people of God so we don't have to be let alone. Wherever you find yourself, God's there. But, but, but he's like really there. You know what I mean? He's like, they're there. We all know what it means to be there, but not there. We all know what it means to be here, but not here. Like I'm not talking about y'all, but I'm talking about your friends who can sit in chapel and sleep for an hour. They're like there, but not there. Or some of us know people on our floor who, like, live in our room, but they don't, like, live in our room. Like, haven't decorated anything. They just kind of are there in and out. They're inactive. We all know what it means for, for people to be there but not there. God is actually there. He, he, he's present. He's aware. He knows what's going on. And he's active. He wants to move. So, so here's the sermon. Let God do God. There are things that God can do, 
Those things that God can do, he wants to do. Those things that God wants to do, he will do in you and through you if you let him. How do we not let God do what he wants to do? Every situation you find yourself in, you've got two options. One, you rely on you doing you. Two, you rely on God doing God. Those are your options. A, rely on you doing you. B, rely on God doing God. A, if you choose to rely on you doing you through any situation, you don't have enough time, effort, or energy or enough you to be relying on letting God do God. So when you rely on you doing you and don't let God do God, that's called practical atheism. You know what practical atheism is, right? It's living like there is no God. I don't know, I don't know too many atheists who, who will go to church and sing Bethel, get an ESV journey, uh, study Bible, um, listen to Francis Chan, but I know a whole lot of people who go to church faithfully, who read their scriptures faithfully. And at a summer event, they will enthusiastically commit to a life of full-time service um, in the ministry. They'll come to Ozark enthusiastically. They'll buy them some Birkenstocks, Crocs, and Chacos proudly. (laughs) They will claim the name of Christian proudly, and they are practical atheists. How? How? Because practical atheism is living like there is no God, and that includes living like there is no God here in this situation. It's when, it's when I act, it's when I feel, it's when I live, it's when I think as if God isn't present with me here in this situation. It's when I'm sitting down stressing over the future thinking if I don't make it work, it's not going to work as if your God who works all things together isn't there with you. It's when you're sitting here thinking I'm stuck in this bondage, I'm stuck in sin, and if I can't make a way out, I'll never get out, is if your God who's a way maker isn't in that situation with you. It's when you're thinking about the future and saying this needs to happen, but if I can't make it happen in my own power, it ain't happening, as if your all-powerful God isn't there ready to make things happen. Practical atheism is when we live like God isn't So about two years ago, I read Psalm 14 where it says, the fool says there is no God. And I read that and I was like, foolish atheist. How could you see the mountains and say there is no God? And then I read it again about a year later and I thought the same thing, but then God put a mirror to my face and showed me who the real fool was. Because it's easy to look at someone who doesn't know God and call them a fool for saying there is no God. But I look way more foolish when I do know God and actually live like he's not here. So so, so you either let God do God, rely on God doing God, or rely on you doing you. Stop relying on you doing you so God can do God. What does it mean to let God do God? It means relying on him. Of relying on him for the ability and relying on him for the outcome. Relying on him for the ability to do the thing and trusting him with the outcome of the thing. This is more of an approach than it is a specific practice. This is entering everything saying I might be doing the same things that I did, but I'm doing them differently. I'm relying on God this time. In scripture, God, he is clear. When you let God do God, he will do everything that he wants to do. 
I just want to point out four really quick biblical passages of what God says he'll do. Um, write this one done, down. Uh, Luke says, God will do God in your working. Acts chapter 1, Jesus, right before he goes up, he says, you'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witness. It's up to the ends of the earth. If you're a Christian, God not only saved you, but he sent you into the world to be a partner with him in this ginormo mission that he has of finding dead people and bringing them to life. And your part in that is bringing them Jesus. But listen to me closely. Bibcom students, your outline ain't saving nobody. Worship students. Your set list and transitions ain't saving nobody. Youth ministry students, your ability to communicate the gospel from a chance the rapper lyric and play games with peanut butter ain't saving nobody. <laughs> Every single other person in this room, whatever you do, it ain't saving nobody. When it comes to the power to save somebody, we don't got it. Look to the person next to you and say, you don't got it. Look to the person, uh, next person, you don't got it. Now, please, I need this look up to me and tell me, Jerron, you don't got it. Thank you, I needed that. When it comes to saving people, the power to save people, we don't got it. Because though our abilities, though our efforts can be seen by someone's eyes and heard by someone's ears, they will never make it into their hearts. You don't have the power to get into somebody's heart, but God does. And he's more invested in those people than you are. So whenever you do whatever you do to communicate the gospel, the Holy Spirit inside of you will use your communication as a vehicle. Ride into the ears, ride into the heart, enter into the mind, open up the heart of whoever it is that you're talking to. And he will grip them at the core of who they are, pull them out of death, bring them into life in relationship with him. Let God do God. The Holy Spirit will work through you, so that, that's a reason to, to work hard and relax. Work hard. By all means, please prepare, but relax because the, the uh, work is his. Be confident and reply. I mean, re, um, rely. Be confident that there will be a good outcome in your ministry, but don't rely on yourself. you got to rely on God. Wherever you find yourself, let God do God in your working. Write this one down. Paul says, let God do God in your living. This is my favorite one out of all of these. Um, Galatians 5.16, Paul, he says, if you walk by the spirit of God, you won't, won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You know how strong of a statement that is? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Do we know what the uh, desires of the flesh are? It's when scripture says no, your mind says maybe, your body says definitely yes. Somebody who has ever been in that last two weeks of engagement, you know what the desires of the flesh are. Some of y'all boys at Open Dorm tonight, you're going to know what the desires of the flesh are. It's when, it's when scripture says no and your body says yes to temptation, to, to lust, to anger, to lashing out, to, to, to envy, to selfishness. It's when your body's saying yes to what scripture's saying no to. Or it's when your body says no to what scripture's saying yes to. 
And Paul says, if you walk by the spirit of God, you'll go with what scripture says and not what your body says. To make it all simple, Paul says, when you let God do God in your living, you won't sin. So that passage has been messing with me for a month now. Because I read that the first time I was like, I doubt it. Not happening. And at the root of that doubt was this small little whisper, a lie, that said, my sin is stronger than my God. And because I've concluded and believed the lie that my sin is stronger than my God, I've gotten comfortable with my sin. We've become roommates. My, my sin has sat down in my heart, gotten comfortable, taken the master bedroom and said, I'm here to stay. I read this commentary where a guy said, sad is the person who's made a truce with their sin because they doubt the power of God. And so I read that and I thought that this truce has to be over. This deal with my sin, we can't be roommates no more because the spirit of God lives in me. And if this spirit of God could overcome the death and pull Jesus up from the grave, then he can absolutely positively overcome my temptation and pull me out of my weakness and into a life of righteousness. So, so, so let, let God do God in your living. Here's one more. Um, let God do God in your thinking. Um, I've been graduated for like a year and a half now. And in this past year and a half, I've learned that I can always count on FAFSA to be FAFSA. Whenever I'm having a conversation with myself about the state of my life, that seems to be the exact moment they send me an email reminding me of my true condition, <laughs> which is broke. So, so, so I get a little bit of extra cash from doing something. I think, I'm doing all right with myself. And then I get an email where they're like, you're broke. And I'm kind of low on money. I'm like, Ron, chill out a little bit. And they send me another email and they're like, you're broke. I'm not even thinking about money. And I get an email and they're like, you're broke. Regardless of what the conversation in my head, uh, going on in my head is, FAFSA lets me know who I really am. Paul says in Romans 8:11 that the spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. You're going to have internal conversations going on in the highs and the lows and the Holy Spirit comes in and he lets you know who you really are. You have a good night at youth group with your small group and start to get a little big headed and the Holy Spirit will come in and say you're not your winds, you're a child of God. You'll get a 12 on a test. And you'll, when you check on Canvas, and the Holy Spirit will come in and say, you're not what Canvas says. You're not your failures. You're a child of God. You'll get way too caught up in that enneagram and feel stuck in these tendencies. And the Holy Spirit will come up and say, you're not a nine. You're a child of God. For future reference, I'm a three, though. So, um... <laughs> There might be a thousand other voices whispering otherwise, but the Holy Spirit is shouting, you are a child of God with whom he is well pleased. So, so, so let God do God in your thinking. And here's the last one. Let good God do God in your being. 
It's one of my favorite scriptures. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, And we, with unveiled faces, but as we behold the glory of uh, Christ, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This transformation comes from the Spirit, who is the Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to do more than just your, your doing. He wants to change your being. And as he's sitting inside of you, he's going Chip and Joanna Gaines. He, he's fixing you up. He, he's fixing your heart, fixing up your character, fixing up your thoughts, fixing up your desires. He's, he's fixing you up, and he ain't going to stop fixing you up until you look just like Jesus. So, so you know what that means. At any given moment, you're not who you're going to be. You're going through some stuff right now. You, you've been made aware of some ugliness in your life, but you're not who you're going to be. You, you've noticed some tendencies in your parents that you see in yourself, but you're not who you're going to be. You're still struggling with the same thing you told yourself you would be done with when you got to Bible college. But guess what? You're not who you're going to be because the spirit of God is not done with you and he is working and he is changing. So at all times you can own up to your sin and say, I'm not who I ought to be, but thank God I'm not who I'm going to be. By the end of all of this, I'm going to look like Jesus. So, so let the spirit of God, let God do God in your living, in your being. Four minutes. I'll be done soon. <laughs> so it's October 1st. Um, and uh, it's getting cool. Leaves are about to start changing. So clearly that's the sign that it's Christmas season. Um, are, are any of y'all with me where you don't do 12 days of Christmas in December, you do 86 days of Christmas starting in October? You can tell a whole lot about a person by, how they, by which holiday they pick once it starts getting cold. How many of y'all, like, last week started the Hocus Pocus Marathon and put in a pumpkin spice IV? <laughs> that was her. She made a face. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask how many of y'all are trying to pick Thanksgiving over Christmas or Halloween because you're not trustable. Uh, trustable. <laughs> trustworthy. That's a joke. Here, here, regardless of whether it's holiday season or not, I want to end by encouraging you to always continually forever maintain this, this holiday-like gratitude. But because we've received a good gift from the greatest gift giver. In Luke 11, he says, how much more if you ask for a good gift will your father not give you the Holy Spirit? He's a good father. What are you asking God for right now? What's on your wish list? He might be looking down at you and saying, I know you're asking for that, but look inside and realize that I've given you someone better. You're praying, God, get me out of this. And he's saying, I've put my spirit in you so you can get through this. You're saying, God, give me something else to do. I can't do this. And he said, I put my spirit in you so you can do that and so much more. God is present inside of you, ready to work. He's ready to, he's ready to make your thoughts like his thoughts. He's ready to make your work work for him. He's ready to give you power when you're powerless. He's ready to give you strength in your weakness. He's ready to make something beautiful out of your broken self. God is in you, present, really there. So let God do God.